children who would like to go on out to Kids Harbor to do so at this time. The rest of you, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Yes, we are going to break out of our Acts series here for a couple of weeks and have a Christmas series, but we didn't actually leave Luke behind. We just left his book of Acts behind. We're actually going to keep reading from Luke as God used him to put together some of the Word. And You know, what we're going to read this morning, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, is the very first time that God chose to announce to just the average human being, people like you and me, first time that God ever announced to the average human being that His Son was coming into, had come into the world. Up to this point in the Christmas story, it was all those who kind of were like a, had insider information, you know, Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and, you know, those kinds of guys. But here we have the announcement to just the ordinary Joes and Josephines like you and I. We, this is what we hear God say. If you have your pew Bibles, page 867, Luke chapter 2. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were terrified. That was typical reaction when you stood in the presence of God or his messengers was, was fear. But the angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who was Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, and he's lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth the people he favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. First time, God's ready to open up the message to folks like just you and I. Sends his messenger, steps into the life of the shepherds. You know, there were times earlier in history where being a shepherd was just part of the family business, and it was was a reputable, if you will, occupation. By New Testament times, shepherds were kind of seen as like the modern-day gypsies. You know, you just nailed down the silver when they kind of came through. And yet these shepherds may actually have been Shepherds who were watching over the temple flocks, the places where they would come out to get to get lambs or sheep to use in the temple as a part of the sacrifices. But here they are. They're just literally, if you will, at the lowest rung of society. And God shows up and he says, I got a message for you. It's good news. Good news. Great joy. Not just joy, but great joy. And it's for all people. Not just some people. Not just some people some of the time, but for all people. Do we fit with inside all people? Are you part of all people? I hope I'm part of all people. You know, so the, the, the shepherds hear this message from God about, I, I, I got good news for you. I got great joy for everybody. You know, and, and one of the prevailing spirits, if you will, messages of Christmas, part of the prevailing experience of faith the way it should be that we've seen in the book of Acts so far in our study is a spirit of joy. Joy. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 11, and I've given it to you there as a quote at the top of your sermon outlines. He says, I've told you this stuff up front so that my joy, the joy of Christ, can be in you and that your joy can be complete. Great joy. Complete joy. Not just partial joy. Not just sometimes joy, but great joy. Complete joy. In fact, I think the Bible takes joy pretty seriously. If you looked up the words joy and joy and rejoicing, it's used over 400 times, like 450 times in the Bible. Joy is a major theme of Scripture. 
God wants for you and I to live with joy. But for most of us, this is the way joy looks. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Lynette Silva sent me a link to this this week. This is actually from the, the blog site of former pastor of Grace Baptist, John Acup. You know, and I was reading some of the blog responses afterwards, and they say, boy, kudos to the, to the parents who actually use this as their Christmas card picture that they send out, you know? But, but for a lot of us, this is the way we live, live our joy, isn't it? I mean, yeah, we're joyful, but boy, life is just flat out hard and miserable, and it just wants to make you cry, right? I mean, and, and listen, let's be honest. Life has a lot of that kind of stuff to make us cry. You know, there, there, there's just heartache, you know? I mean, no matter what you think about politics, you know, President Obama, you know, as he's talking about the tragedy in Connecticut, you know, just the emotion is just there. Life can be really hard. It just brings up memories of Georgia Tech and Columbine and all the others, and it's just brutal stuff, you know? Rob Kilgus, one of our own, supposed to be in the choir this morning playing and was doing some work. It'll leave early. His mom, his last parent, living parent, is dying. And he's just standing vigil over her bedside. Life can be hard. It wants to rip, <laughs> if you will, the joy right away from us. There's lots of difficult experiences, and, and life just has this effect of wanting to rob us of our joy. But, you know, listen, God doesn't. God intends for us to live with joy all the time. You know, I, I love this quote from Billy Sunday. He was a preacher of previous generation. You know, he said, he said you know, if, if your religion has no joy, then your faith has a leak in it. Because God wants us to have complete joy. God wants us to have great joy. He doesn't want the bucket just to be partially full or even half full. God wants it to be totally full. And so I want to spend a couple of weeks talking about living with great joy. This great joy that the, that the, that the angel announced to the shepherds. And I, I, next week I want to talk about how do we cultivate a spirit of joy in our lives. But today I, I just want to back up a little bit and say, how is it that you and I can just live with joy in our lives? And, and, and I want to point out three things to you today about joy. First of those is that you and I need to understand what joy really is. And in doing that, we need to understand the difference between joy and happiness. Because they're not the same thing. And many of us work with the definition that joy and happiness are the exact same thing. They're not. Okay? Then we need to look at where do we find joy. And then we need to look at the things that rob us of joy. And so we're going to look at all three of those today. And so I want to just kind of keep moving through this stuff. And so let's look at this first one. The angels came. Got good news. God's got great joy for you. It belongs to everybody because the Savior's been born. Where's our joy? And a lot of it is because you and I are confused about what joy is and what happiness is. And you and I, if we're going to be people who live with joy, we need to know the difference between joy and happiness. Now, let me just use as a, as a foundational text for these comments a well-known verse out of the Scriptures. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? And he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Against this stuff, God's got no rules, all right? This is stuff that you can just let run rampant in your life because it's all good stuff. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Now, let me make this statement to you. Joy is a fruit that never goes out of season, (laughs) all right? It's supposed to be always present in our lives. That's not true about happiness, is it? Happiness kind of comes and goes, but joy is supposed to be a fruit that's always in season in our lives because it's a fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now, let's look at some of the contrasts between these two. Happiness comes from the world. Joy comes as a gift of God. Happiness comes from the world. 
Joy comes as a gift of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Happiness is external. It's the stuff on the outside that makes us happy. Some of you, your children will wake up on Christmas morning and they'll be very happy because they got just what they wanted underneath the tree. Some of your kids won't be so happy because that smartphone is missing that they really wanted or whatever, you know? Because happiness is external, right? Joy is internal. You know, I, I love the statement that joy, joy is to our, our, our lifestyle, if you will, as, as weather is. It's, it's, it's carrying our weather with us. We create our own climate because it's something that's within us. It's not dependent upon the outside. They say it's supposed to rain and snow today, and that should be good for the Patriots and bad for the Niners, you know, and that's what, at least that's what we're rooting, right? But that's outside, but inside we, we can, we can set the thermostat at whatever temperature we want. Joy is something that's internal. Happiness is an emotion. It comes, it goes. Joy is a quality of life. Just like being trustworthy. Just like being male or female. Tall or short. Joy is a quality of life. It's something that's just a part of who we are. Happiness depends upon our circumstances. You got that promotion at work. You got the big pay raise. You got that pat in the back from your boss. You know, you you finally passed that class in, in college that you've taken twice. You know, or your team won the big game. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy depends on Christ. Why were the shepherds supposed to be happy? Because a Savior had been born, who was Christ the Lord, the Messiah the Lord. It's dependent upon Christ, not on our circumstances. Happiness depends upon chance. You know, we can do everything we want to try to control life, but at a certain point, it's just beyond our control, right? I don't care how safe you drive, somebody else can plow into you and there's nothing else you can do about it. Now, be honest, how many of you went out and bought a Powerball ticket when it hit like 500 million, right? You know, I'm sure you were planning on giving a double tithe on your winnings when you bought those, right? You know, that's all dependent upon chance. Oh, I'm playing my lucky number. You know, it's just all chance, right? But joy isn't built on chance. It's built on a choice. It's built on a choice. A choice to believe in God, to live with God, to walk with God, to trust in God. It's built on a choice. And happiness is something we achieve sometimes. But joy is received from God. You know, I, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I try to think, well, what's a good definition of joy to give people? And, and to tell you the truth, I, I just, I didn't have anything that I was so convinced about I could put down. It's really hard to turn into words. I mean, it's interesting that when, when um, missionaries reached the Eskimo people and they wanted to start translating the scripture into their native language, they, they discovered that the Eskimos had no word for joy. I mean, it, to the Eskimos, it was so indescribable, they hadn't even bothered to come up with a word for it. So the missionaries were looking around trying to figure it out, and, and, they, and they found out that the happiest moment of the day was when the sled dogs got fed. So they referred, they translated joy as when the tails wag. <laughs> you know, joy is tail wagging. I think we can do better than that, all right? You know, um, joy to me, it, it, and this is a definition that works for me, but it, joy is a perspective on life, a transforming perspective on life that's a result of having eternity in your hearts. It, it, it just changes life because you have eternity inside. And it just changes your perspective on everything. Now, part of what that means is that you and I have to look for joy in the right places. We're, you know, we're not going to be a people who experience good news and great joy this complete joy if we're looking for joy in the wrong places, right? I mean, we're just, we're just not. We have to look for it in the right places. And the way to look for joy in the right place is to look for it in a relationship with God. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me over to Romans chapter 5. 
Romans is right after the book of Acts. You're going to find our the text that I want to use on page 959 of your pew Bibles. This, this is a profound section of Scripture. I'm not going to do justice to all of it. There's just a lot of good stuff. That's my major theological word. There's just a lot of good stuff that I'm not going to touch on in here. You know, Paul is writing to a church he's never been to before. This is a, a community of the faith that's smack dab in the middle of the world, the most influential city in the world. They can change the empire inside out. from the city. And he is so concerned that they get the gospel right. And so he's writing to them, at God's inspiration, a letter. And he tr- comes to this section as he's describing the impact that the work of Christ has on our lives. And, and I want you to know there's a theme of rejoicing that runs through this. And I, and I want to I want us to read through it. I'm going to back up and take a look at it and see the things that should cause us to rejoice. And you're going to see that every single one of them lies in having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just read out loud for you. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's interesting that the word grace and the word joy in Greek are only separated by one letter. They have the exact same root. To, to live with joy is to be a people who live by grace. We have access. We obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice, see that word again, in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and proven character produces hope. And this hope doesn't disappoint, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we are still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ, the one who was born in the manger, the small child announced by the angels to the shepherd on that night, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die, but but God, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, (laughs) will we be saved by his life? Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Again, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is an incredible text. And, and let me just give you some, some pieces as to why a relationship with God is the foundation of, our, of joy in our lives. First of all, it, it is joy lies in being at peace with God. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, in other words, by our trust in Christ as our Savior and as our Lord, God has taken the righteousness of Christ that was embodied in his perfect life, and he's just literally bathed us in it. It permeates all who we are. And we literally have been declared righteous, justified, innocent in the eyes of God. And therefore, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace is is a, again, it, it's one of those words that's just so hard. You know, the, the Hebrew word is the word shalom. You know, we often think of peace as the absence of conflict. Well, we had peace in the house today because the kids didn't fight with one another. But, you know, and that biblically just isn't enough to really describe faith um, peace. P- peace is not only the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of everything that's needed to thrive. What Paul's saying is that because of what Christ did for us, 
and how it gets applied to our lives in faith, you and I now are in a position where we not only are not in opposition to God, but we're in a place where God has given us everything we need to thrive in who He is. We're at peace, and joy lies at being in peace with God. Uh, sometimes I think about it this way, you know. You know, at the end of World War II, when they signed the armistice, you know, Germany was no longer at war, but they were not at a place for peace. It wasn't until they were able to rebuild their nation to where they could thrive, were they really at peace. God, God's given us in Christ everything that we need to thrive. And we're at peace with God. And our joy lies in the fact that you and I are at peace with God. Joy also lies in knowing that we are loved by God. Verses 5 through 8 are, are, are powerful verses in this text, but none more than the, the last phrase of verse 5. This hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. Been just poured out on us. God has just pointed out on us. Then later, he says that God has proved his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has already proven that he loves us. And our joy lies in experiencing, living with, knowing that we have the love of God. It, it, one of the most difficult things for you and I to understand is that even though the way we live our lives may change our ability to experience God's love, there isn't anything that we can do with our lives that will change God's love for us. There isn't a single thing that you can do right now that can make God love you more than he does right now. Not a single thing. You can't do a single thing to make God love you more than, than he did when his son died for you. Not a single thing. And joy comes in knowing that we have the love of God. One of the most precious things to me in my journey, and, I, and, and I'm not saying this just to be sappy. One of the most precious things to me is, is I can be absolutely certain in my wife's love for me. That, that I, I don't ever have to question it. I don't have to doubt it. I don't have to do anything. It, and it's a tremendous source of joy. And that same experience is connected with knowing that God loves us. Joy also lies in kind of knowing the big picture. Now listen, look at verse 3. And not only that, but we rejoice in our afflictions. Some of you are saying, yeah, right. You know, and I look around the room, and some of you have some tremendous tragedies that have happened in your journey. You know, we have several families in our, in our network that are struggling with the loss of loved ones through suicide. And, and, and that puts a whole special twist on experiencing the loss of a loved one, doesn't it? You know, and, and it's, those are heavy, heavy afflictions. You know, we think about what these 27 families are going through from Newtown, Connecticut. We think about what it's like to, to be living in Syria right now and, and literally be no place where you can go and be safe. The heavy-duty afflictions. And he says that we can rejoice in our afflictions. Well, how can we do that? Well, he says because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, there's a lot of wonderful stuff in there. Let me put it this way. That God uses the difficulties in our lives somehow or another to prepare us for eternity. And when you and I can back up and see the big picture... Even though we may not be happy, because our circumstances and our emotions don't make us happy, we can still have joy, because we can see the big picture. And we know that God is preparing us for eternity. And that's where joy lies. Joy also lies in having a certain hope about the future. You know, look at, look at the things that he says here in verse 10. He says, for if while we were enemies, God was able to bring us into a relationship with his son, now that you and I have actually have a relationship with him, so much more so we can be confident that at the end times we're going to be saved. We can just, we can have certain hope about our future. 
Bill and Nicole McDonald are with us this morning. You guys prayed for them last week as, as, as they lost the twins that Nicole was carrying. You know, and as I was out at the graveside service with them this week, you know, it, it, it struck me as I made the statement to them, you know, the very first steps that Joshua and Zoe are ever going to take weren't going to happen on the streets of Auburn where they live now, but they're going to happen in, the, in heaven. It's the certainty of the hope that we have. And it just, it, it, in the midst of pain, it brings joy to us. And all of these things are, are joy starters in our lives, and they all lie in having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So you and I, if we're going to be people who live with joy, we not only need to know what joy is, we've got to look for it in the right place. It's not more stuff. It's not better experiences. It's, it's, it's living with the peace and the joy and the love of God shed out in our hearts through the presence of the Spirit working within us. So what are some things that rob us of our joy? I mean, here God is, he's trying to pour his joy into us, and in many of our cases, the joy is running out the bottom as fast as it's going in. Just like kind of the way you like your sink to work, right? You want the water to go out as fast as it comes in, right? I mean, that's the way many of us are living our lives. The joy, God's trying to pour it in, but it's running out just as fast. What are those things, what are some of those things that, that rob us of our joy, the joy busters that are in our lives? And again, there's probably a, a long list of these biblically, but let me just give you three that I think are pretty prevalent to us today. One of those is that if you and I are going to be people who live with joy, we've got to plug the leaks in our lives. And one of those leaks is to be excessively consumed with worldly things, or worldly concerns. And it's interesting in Matthew chapter 6, and some of you are aware of the fact that this is smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching the disciples about how the concerns with the world can kind of, if you will, snuff out the things of God. And, and we read these words from Jesus. He says, he says, so don't worry, saying what we'll eat or, or what we will drink or what we will wear. For the, for the idolaters, those who, who don't have any confidence in God, that God really cares, that God's really present, that God's going to take care of you. The idolaters, they eagerly seek all these things. You know what? And your Heavenly Father already knows you, you need all these things. Many of us, now listen, I said this in the first service. The fact that God is asking, when we make the statement that, that an obsessive concern with worldly things can rob us of our joy, I'm not saying that, that you should be stupid in a worldly sense, financially or any otherwise. But you, some of us, we can get so concerned about how are we going to pay for our kids' college education? Or how, how are we going to be able to afford to retire? Or what about all these medical expenses? And when we get so consumed, we can't see anything else but those things. You know how we operate? You know what a lunar eclipse is? you got the small planet of the moon, and it can align itself up and block out the sun. So you can't see the sun at all. And when you and I get so focused on, on the worldly things, the stuff that we got to be responsible in, but when we get so concerned about it, it can be like the moon that blocks out all of God that's behind it. And one of the ways that you and I get robbed of this joy that God's trying to give us, this great joy, is we get so tied up in all the stuff that we got to do and the stuff we need to get to. And it robs us of our joy. Another thing that just kills us spiritually in terms of our joy is having unconfessed sin in our lives or sin in our lives that we haven't really repented of, unrepentant sin. You know, David said that, you know, King David, you know, he, he committed a great, a tremendous sin. Scripture is very honest with us. doesn't paint our heroes as perfect. You know, David was king, and he, and he lusted after a woman by the name of Bathsheba, and he, and he committed adultery with her. And then, and then when she got pregnant as a result of that experience, and the husband wouldn't sleep with her, he had her husband killed so he could marry her. I mean, he, he, it, it's just bad stuff. You know, and, and, and he described the, the season in his life before he'd experienced God's forgiveness for those. Before he confessed them to God and experienced God, he said it was just like God was just crushing his bones. 
Literally, that's the language that Psalm 51 uses, that, that he was asking for God to restore him because it, God was just crushing his bones. It was just crushing the life out of him, the spiritual life out of him. And when you and I carry around stuff in our lives, it just, it just crushes the spiritual joy right out of us. Just squeezes us so hard, it just flushes all the joy right out. Just squeezes it out like a sponge. You know, and for many of us, where we're losing our joy is we're holding on to anger and let, and we're, we're refusing to forgive other people. We're just carrying this weight and it's just crushing us in terms of our spiritual joy. But unconfessed sin, unrepentant. Why, why is it worth, Because when you and I have sin in our lives, it doesn't change our eternal destiny in terms of salvation, but it changes our relationship with God. Last thing, spiritual neglect. Spiritual neglect. When you and I don't pay attention to our spiritual lives, we suffer in the joy department. You know, I read a quote for you just a few minutes ago. John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus said, you know, I spoke these things to you up front so that my joy, meaning the joy of God, can be in you and that your joy can be complete. You know what he said just a few verses before that? He says, I'm the vine. He says, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him, he produces much fruit. Fruit? What kind of fruit? Joy. Because, of, because you can do nothing without me. When you and I refute, we, when we neglect our spiritual lives, when we're not in the Word of God, you know, whether we're using one of the devotional study methods we use through 40 days of the Word, or just doing some basic reading, or just struggling to figure it out, even though it's really hard for us to understand, or, you know, whether we're getting together, whether we're connected with other believers and growing, whether we're praying, whether we're serving the name of Christ, when we're neglecting that kind of stuff, our joy is just seeping right out our spiritual doors. You might as well just crank the thermostat up and open up the windows. Because it's just all flowing right out. Because you've you got to remain in Christ. It's no doubt that God's intent for you and I to be a people who live with joy. He wants us not just to have some joy. He wants us to have great joy. He doesn't want us just to have some type of joy. He wants us to have complete joy. But like the shepherds in our story, in order to see joy, we got to do something. They had to go up, get up, and go to Bethlehem. You and I, I think what we need to do is we need to not focus on our problems. We need to focus on the power of God in our you and I are going to be people who experience joy, great joy. We're going to live with great joy. We've got to focus on God. That's a choice that you and I have to make. And so my invitation to you today comes from the words of the psalmist in Psalm 62. Trust in God at all times and pour out your hearts to Him, for God can be your refuge. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the reminder today that your intent is for us to be a people of joy. Abounding, overflowing, incredible, makes you want to dance and shout and jump kind of joy. It tells us a lot about the kind of God that you are. And in that spirit, we pray that you would lead us trust you more as we choose to focus on you over everything else. This is what we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.